This is the View from the Couch podcast, and I'm your host, Pierce Wiesenhaar. On the program today, I will be recapping Beyond the Wall, the sixth episode from Season 7 of Game of Thrones. Let me be clear from the start. Beyond the Wall is the worst episode of the season and the worst episode of the series by far. And depending on your viewing habits, Beyond the Wall has the chance to be the worst episode of television you will see this year. Also, in the age of peak TV, Beyond the Wall is in the running for the worst episode of shows that have come to define the era of peak TV. When the show first started, the early seasons were amazing. Thrones rose to the top of the pop culture landscape because the show was achieving the impossible by adapting the impossible. Dan and Dave, the two showrunners, were able to pick and choose what was important and what could be cut out from the books, which made the show tight and lean when compared to the novels, and also made the show riveting television. With so many options for entertainment, Game of Thrones became the only show that everyone was watching. However, as the show moved past the Storm of Swords and into A Feast for Crows and A Dance of Dragons, Dan and Dave struggled to find the same success. Their job of deciding what story was important became more difficult because the final two books of the series have not been released, so they couldn't know how certain stories would play out, which made their job of choosing what stories to tell and how to go about telling them almost impossible. The expansion of the world of the books failed to translate well into the format of television. The enormous size plot of the books did not create a good foundation for the show to be built upon. These books were never made with a TV show in mind. Dan and Dave don't have anything to go off of and build their scripts from, and it's clear for all to see that the show is in desperate need of some good direction and a guiding hand. I wish that HBO would repeat what they did for True Detective with Game of Thrones. After the second season of True Detective was ripped apart by everyone, HBO brought in David Milch to help Nick Pizzolatto, the creator and showrunner of True Detective, with the third season. And it's clear that after Beyond the Wall, Dan and Dave are in dire need of some help. While many people saw an episode of TV, I saw a giant help wanted sign. But with only seven episodes left, would it all be too little too late? With all that being said, what made Beyond the Wall such a disaster? Up until this point, Game of Thrones has always got those big moments right. The big action set pieces and the scenes of battles have elevated everyone's expectation of what you can show on the small screen. Never before had TV looked so much like a movie. For a few years now, the show has been unable to create characters and character moments that are interesting, compelling, or memorable. Game of Thrones has had some of the best characters you could find anywhere, but nowadays the show doesn't have characters at all. For all the talent in the cast, none of them are showing the talent that they once did as the show is solely focused on the plot, which is coming at the cost of characters that we've spent seven years with. When you have Arya ending season six, saying that she isn't no one but reclaiming her identity as Arya Stark, everyone comes into season seven with certain expectations. But this isn't about how fans are expecting one thing and then complaining about not getting what they want. This is about how a character rejects the ideology of the faceless men, but when we next see her, She's more like no one than ever before. You can't change the central motivations of a character off screen and in between seasons and later act like nothing ever happened. Her scenes with Sansa have been dreadful. I can't think of a reason why their conflict couldn't be resolved in one or two episodes. There clearly isn't enough going on to fill out an entire season, but the show tries to do just that. 
and in order to get away with it, the show has created a nightmare. Gone are the days of logic, reason, rational thought, and common sense. What fun times they were as Thrones has turned Arya into the biggest idiot ever. I spent a long time trying to understand what Arya's game is, and I can't decipher what she's getting at. I maybe kind of assume that it's all just the test of loyalty for Sansa, and the weirdest way for Arya to reveal her backstory. I'd like to say that Game of Thrones can do better, but after watching the episode, that clearly isn't the case. And it's not like the Mother of Dragons is much better. When talking with Tyrion on Dragonstone, she hears like every third or fourth word. For the first time all year, Tyrion is actually making sense, but Danny doesn't listen to him. When he talks of the bigger picture and her dream of building a better world, all she hears are his words about death. She doesn't hear their context or much of anything for that matter. In that scene, she's impulsive and reactive and not the cool calculated leader that we've seen before. Their conflict creates tension, but it's needless and pointless. It doesn't add anything to the show or even add a new wrinkle to their relationship. It only adds more frustration and disappointment from the audience. But it's not all bad. The episode actually started out kind of strong, which makes the weak parts all the more painful. On their way to the frozen lake, John and his all-star crew have some fun exchanges. The team is paired off and we get some great dialogue between them all. Their scenes are all too brief and many of them feature some quick snappy zingers that keep the episode light in the face of certain death. But almost as quick as it started, the fun stops and the episode begins its long march into madness with the attack of a dead bear. After the revenant, you can't have another bear attack. You could have picked any other animal, maybe an ice crab or a giant ice spider, but a bear? You can't follow in those footsteps or paw prints and come out clean. And you know what else you can't do? Have someone survive the mauling of an undead bear. Just like Jamie drowning last week, Thoros was protected by plot armor this week. But then in the next scene, Thoros dies from his wounds. And all I can wonder is why did he have to die then and not after the bear attack? What was gained from his death in the next scene? I just don't see the point or any point for that matter. And speaking of dead characters, if you're not going to kill key characters, then what's the point of bringing them along? Thoros hasn't been seen in a few years, and while we'll mourn the loss, his death didn't garner the reaction required to pull it off, which makes it feel like the show is going through the motions. The Suicide Squad headed north with the All-Star Gang and a couple of red shirts, and while the red shirts predictably die, their loss doesn't move the needle, but what is impactful is the death of a key character or two. Instead of trimming down the cast and having a truly shocking death to add to the list of major character deaths in a show that made its reputation of doing just that, we get a dead dragon whose name only the diehards will know and the death of a character that we haven't seen in quite some time. But if you thought the dead bear was ridiculous, the sneak attack of the White Walker scouting party reveals a new low. How did the White Walkers know that John and the gang were beyond the wall? What were these guys scouting for? And basic questions like that are not answered, which shows a blatant disregard for the intelligence of the audience. When you don't answer basic questions, it's impossible to take the show seriously and to trust the direction that the show is going in. Like when John kills the White Walker and all the Whites die. Well, all of them die but one. Why does one stay alive? Oh, well, that's because the boys need to take one back to Danny. When all of the whites die but one, it's more than ridiculous. Well, what can be more ridiculous than one white surviving? 
How about the Whites, of which the Night King has thousands at his disposal, attacking our heroes one at a time? We see another red shirt die when a dozen or so Whites overwhelm him. The Whites never try that tactic for anyone else. Instead, what we get are a few hero shots that remind me of the Avengers, and just like in Age of Ultron, the good guys are fighting an army of bad guys, one at a time, and the enemy falls down after one hit, while our team never take any damage. I understand the need for a hero shot or two, but it's just unrealistic for the Whites to line up, one at a time, to fight the Westerosi Avengers. What can be more unrealistic than that? Well, Gendry running back to Eastwatch like the Greek marathon runner of old might be near the top of that list. Other people might rate that a raven flying all the way to Dragonstone, where Danny disregards the pleas of Tyrion and flies with three dragons to the frozen lake and arrives just in the nick of time to save the day just a little bit higher. I'm pretty sure that if you played out that scene as a kid with action figures, it would be a bit much, but this isn't a playdate. This is a multi-million dollar tentpole franchise for a major television and film studio. When you continue to ask a lot of your audience by stretching what is possible, believable, realistic, and practical, eventually something has to give. And in the case of Beyond the Wall, that took the form of an ice javelin. I'm trying to find the answers to the basic questions surrounding that moment, and I assume that the answer to each of those questions is magic, because the Night's King is a magical creature. But without much evidence to back up the answer, I'm kind of grasping at straws. If you thought the Ice Javelin was over the top, how about the Night's King stepping over fire? While it's a small thing that looks totally badass, it makes the long wait for the lake to freeze over look stupid. You're telling the audience one of two things. Either this guy with all of his power cannot freeze a lake, or that idea never crossed his mind. I can't think which is worse because at that point in the episode, my brain was in a puddle on the floor. For all the javelin skills of the Night's King, he failed to kill the target right in front of him. Danny was loading up the magic school bus with Drogon sitting on the island, showing the Night's King his back. If there ever was an easier target to hit, I can't think of one. But because the show has seven more episodes, the Night's King can't end the series by doing the logical thing. He has to hit a dragon flying 100 feet in the air and about 100 feet away from him. The same criticism can be leveled against Danny. She had a chance to end the threat of the White Walkers. All she had to do was to get Drogon to turn around and melt our villain. But instead of doing that, she just stands there looking sad because Viserion died. While Jon stays behind to fight his way to the Night's King, Danny flies off with the all-important White and the team. The Night's King misses Drogon, which is surprising because his last throw was like a heat-seeking missile. Jon gets tackled by some whites and falls into the water. If you're the Night's King and you've now faced Jon Snow a few times, you probably would want to ensure that Jon stays dead. He's the only one that has killed a White Walker in battle, and you really would like to keep a close eye on him. But the show doesn't do that. When Jon falls into the water, everyone just walks away as if nothing happened. If Jamie didn't drown with his armor, clearly John was never going to drown with his fur. But if John was going to survive, what was going to happen next? How was John going to get out of this one? When you're pulling things out of thin air and you've already played your dragon card, there's only one trick the show has left up its sleeve. Deus Ex Machina is a plot device that resolves an otherwise impossible situation. Usually that takes the form of a surprising intervention of a character or an event. 
in Beyond the Wall. That means bringing back Benjen Stark to cause a distraction, give Jon his horse, and then die. Talk about an awful Stark family reunion. But the only reunion that matters is the one between Jon and Danny. Part of what makes both the books and show so fascinating is the upending of fantasy tropes. The good guys don't always win, with the deaths of Ned and Rob Stark being examples. So when the episode ends with Jon and Danny getting a little handsy and sowing the seeds of a potential relationship, it's disappointing for the show to take the easy way out. After all that, the show has the nerve to give an epilogue, with the Night's King fishing out the dragon and making him part of his army. Now, it's a cool moment in a season with several cool moments, and might confirm a book theory that inside the wall is an ice dragon. But where did those chains come from? Were they being carried around, or did they just find them? Also, how deep is this lake? How were the Whites able to fish out a dragon? Were they not weighed down by those heavy chains? You can't just touch a dead dragon, show its eye to be blue, and not answer any questions about that scene. For all of the hype surrounding the end of the episode, it's more the same. Another shiny object used to distract the audience from the many problems of the show. And for many, I think the endless flaws shown in the episode will give some fans pause and reflect on a few of them during the week. Game of Thrones rose to such great heights, but Beyond the Wall is a new low for the show. Everything shown in the episode was soul-crushing, mind-numbing, and painfully stupid. The show lacked the necessary soft touch when dealing with the big issues of the plot. For a few seasons now, Game of Thrones has been lurching from big plot point to big plot point, and along the way it hasn't been pretty, leaving a trail of plot holes in the process. Beyond the Wall is a textbook example of plot convenience and marks the moment when the biggest show on TV jumped the shark. The trailer for next week's episode, which is titled The Dragon and the Wolf, starts with a shot of Grey Worm and the Unsullied. I, like many, thought they were screwed after Euron burned their ships and had no hope of escape, but since the armistice, Tyrion returns home to bail them out. Then the Unsullied, alongside the Dothraki, arrive outside a castle we've never seen before, which I assume is Summerhall or wherever the meeting of the monarchs is taking place. Sansa looks out from Winterfell and a boat makes land and someone falls to the ground. They are all cloaked in shadow and due to the lighting of the scene, it's impossible to tell who and where they are. We follow someone walking through Casterly Rock before the big showdown happens. Jon arrives with Tyrion, Pod, Jorah, Davos, Masande, and a few Dothraki, while Kybert and Jaime accompany Cersei. The trailer ends with Tyrion glowering at someone and Jon declaring, The only war that matters is here. The only war in the show isn't between the living and the dead, it's between common sense and whatever Thrones thinks is a good idea. Sadly, common sense isn't very common in Westeros. If you like the show and want some more episodes, just subscribe for more, and don't forget to rate the show and to share the episode. This has been another episode of the View from the Couch podcast. Thanks for listening.